0: Now, there's amazing resources in this word from Scripture. We have everything we need, everything you need to get through whatever you're in. God has it for you. So, Peter starts this letter, Second Peter. It's his second letter. He mentions the first letter in this second letter. And that's where we are today, and we're going to be there for a while. Thank you to Taylor. Taylor Rutland, are you here somewhere? Taylor preached the first message from this book two weeks ago and so introduced us to the text of this pastoral letter from Peter. I want to start in verse 3 of chapter 1, read you a little bit here, uh, just because I think it's a beautiful text, okay? This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Everything we need, okay? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Just want you to note the word goodness there, describing God, one of the qualities of God. Verse 4, through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So you might want to put our asterisk there by evil desires to. Now verse 5 is where the text begins today for this very reason. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and goodness, knowledge and knowledge, self-control and a self-control, perseverance and a perseverance, godliness and godliness, mutual affection and a mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins." So, Pastor Peter is interested in everybody growing up in grace. He wants people to grow in the faith which has been delivered to them. In both of his letters, he's working on that. In this one in particular, he's working on inside the church. First Peter is sort of about those outside cultural influences that are upon the church in that time and in ours as well. And second Peter talks about what's happening inside the church that hurts the church. And we're going to deal with that in this book of Second Peter, um, false prophets and things that have been taught that are false that damage the strength and vitality of the church of Jesus Christ. He also wants everybody to pay attention to this truth. Jesus Christ is the culmination of all things. So all of human history is headed toward His coming. So you want to remember as you live down here that Jesus is coming and He's going to bring everything to its proper culmination in Himself. So all of human history and all of God's creation is headed toward Jesus who is the beginning and the end and the name which is above every name. These three things He emphasizes throughout His letters. And as He writes to us now and to the church of His day, He is saying to the church, I want you to add some things to faith, all right? Now, we are people of faith, and most of us would say, yes, I have faith. It's hard to get through life without faith, at least in something, even if it's faith in people or faith in systems or faith in thought processes or logic or whatever. We all have a kind of trust in something. When the Bible uses the word faith, when Peter uses it, he's talking about what we trust. We're trusting in God. We're trusting God, and we're entrusting ourselves to God. So the word faith has both trust and entrust in it. And if I were to say to you, how is your faith today, brother? How's your faith today, sister? You might be able to respond to me with, well, my faith feels pretty strong, or maybe my faith is a little weak today, and I need to have an increase in faith. Maybe you're like the fellow in the Bible who says, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. I believe, Lord, but I got this unbelief in me too, so help me out, God. And the Holy Spirit wants to help you with that today. He wants you to be a person of faith. You really need to be. You need to be able to trust the one who created you, the power that brought you into being. You need to be able to trust him and entrust yourself to him. And most gloriously has He revealed His character and His purpose towards you in sending His one and only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sin and my sin. So this is God's great message to us. This is where our faith resides. Our faith is in God who made us and Christ who saves us. And we are trusting and entrusting ourselves to Him. Now, these add-ons are important, all right? So you say, well, I've got got a little faith, or I'm growing in my faith, or I want more faith, wherever you are in faith. Here's some things you can add to your faith that are very important. They are vital. They, in fact, determine whether you're going to be successful or not in living out this life that God has purposed for you to live and called you to live and created you to live. And the first add-on he has, add to your faith, he says, goodness. Well, I think that's interesting that he starts with goodness. This is moral excellence. Peter has seen some folks in the church that are not living with excellence. They're not living with virtue. And he knows that faith in Jesus produces virtue in the heart and that moral excellence is part of following Jesus people really want to be seen as good people sometimes people will say that I'm a good person aren't I particularly after something bad has happened or you've been criticized for something that you've done you may say to somebody you love "Well, don't you think I'm a good person I'm a really good person I am And we insist on that. We we want to be seen as good. I'm glad that that motivation is inside of us. But the honest truth is that we don't always work on moral excellence. And Peter's saying here, look, you've got to put some effort into this, into these qualities that you need to add to your faith. And one of them is goodness, this moral excellence. You need to live in practical daily experience what you profess about your faith in Christ. And your faith in God needs to change how you behave and how you relate to people in the world. So strive for, he's saying, put effort into being that good person you want to be, you hope to be, you think that people think you are, and it makes you feel bad when people seem not to. So, put some effort into being who God has called you to be, in a practical way, in an everyday kind of life. Add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, he says then, knowledge. Knowledge is the next add-on, and I think it's real interesting that the first two add-ons to faith are goodness, moral excellence, and knowledge which is a greater understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Peter's concerned about both of these because there's poor living going on among people who are in the church and they're not really living with moral excellence all the time and there's also people who really don't understand the gospel they haven't got it yet, they're young in Christ and they're just believing in things that aren't so Young believers have a way of doing that. We come into Christ and we we don't suspect the motives of anybody who's thrown out teaching there. And sometimes we get off track. Have you ever watched a mother hen feed her baby chicks? Do you know mother hens do this? How many of you have ever watched a hen feed her baby chicks? Oh, I see hands. See? I have watched this, okay? And a mother hen... When she finds food, she'll pick up that food and she'll, with her beak, break it into little pieces and drop it to the ground. You can watch her do this, okay? And she makes these noises that the chicks know are an announcement of food. And the chicks will come from everywhere when she starts making these clucking noises, and they'll just eat whatever she drops down. They are so trusting and they're not discriminating. They just get in there and they eat it up. Uh, And that's how young Christians sometimes are. They just take it all in. And they do so without discrimination. And they just believe that teachers are telling them the truth. And what happened with some of the folks who were in the churches in Peter's day is they believed lies. They believed falsehoods because there were prophets who had bad motives and selfish motives. They were trying to build themselves up instead of the church. And they and the young believers were just taking it all in. So what Peter is saying is this. Look. As you grow in Christ, I want you to grow up in your faith. So add to it moral excellence. Really work on being a person of virtue, of honesty and integrity, and real Christian conduct. And also work on understanding your faith so that you really know it. It's astonishing to me how many people don't actually read the Bible. I hope there's nobody in the room here that's not reading the Bible but I suspect there probably are some. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm going to get to that later as a young person, or maybe, well, I've already read the Bible. Well, listen to Peter now. He wants you to put on knowledge, and he explains knowledge. Knowledge is a big word for Peter in this book. He wants you to know what you have believed. Now, Baptists, try not to insert anything between the believer and his Bible. That's sort of the old historic way of understanding who Baptists are. Baptists want their people to read this book, all right? So it's not just a Baptist thing. It's a thing about following Jesus. Peter says it here. You're to grow, add on knowledge to your goodness. So what I'm going to recommend to you right now is this, okay? Okay. If you haven't really been growing in your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ, and it is great news, all right? If you haven't been growing in your understanding, even if you're still a seeker, even if you're not quite there, haven't yet really trusted in Jesus as Savior, even if you're still a seeker, I'm going to recommend to you that you get your Bible and that you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, that seems like a lot, but it's just a little novel, really, It's just a small amount of reading. There are about 20 chapters in each one, and if you just read a chapter a day, you could read all four of them in about uh, four months. You'd be done, okay? I'm going to challenge you to read the Gospels because I want you to know these virtues, number one, that he's giving to us, these eight essential vitamins we're talking about here, and they're exemplified in Jesus the Savior. You get the best look at who God wants you to be by reading about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? So read through there and see who Jesus is and how he behaves. Just just go ahead and do it. It's important. Add your faith goodness and add to your goodness knowledge, right? Now, what do you want to add to knowledge? Self-control. Self-control. The Holy Spirit develops in us this self-control. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. It is temperance. Now, you heard about evil desires earlier, and Peter is saying, I want you to be protected from the corruption that comes from evil desires in the world. Everybody has desires. Some of them are good, although they can become evil if we overdo them. Sometimes we take what is good and we twist it, and that's what the Bible calls iniquity. It's the twisting of the good. Essentially, intrinsically, the things God made are good, Evil desires are the desires that get out of hand. Sometimes you know you've got some hunger inside of you that is not good. You know it is evil. In fact, you know it is self-destructive. It may not even be just self-destructive. It could be that you know it's going to harm somebody else, but you've got this thing inside of you, all right? Now, what God is intending to develop in you, in your faith in Christ, is the discipline, the temperance, the self-control to continue to move toward the goal He has set for you and not get distracted or perverted by the evil desires that are around you. God has a great goal and purpose for your life. And the best self-control that you will ever exercise is the control that knows where you're headed and what God wants you to do and staying in that vein and in that track and not being distracted by the other things around you. That self-control is essential for you growing up in Christ, for your maturing in the faith. It needs to be part of what you add on as you go along in the faith. Not every impulse you have is a good one. Not every thought that enters your brain is a good one. You know that already. Self-control is you staying in charge of these passions and these desires that are part of who you are and making sure that you keep traveling toward the goal God has set for you. And that goal includes goodness and knowledge. It includes you becoming a person of moral excellence and virtue. Now add to that self-control perseverance. Because you're gonna to have to have perseverance. As soon as you decide you're going to do what is good and develop moral excellence, and it's really important to you, and you're gonna be a person of integrity, and you're gonna let the Holy Spirit produce this in you, you're gonna add that to your faith. As soon as you decide, you're gonna have resistance. There's gonna be this stiff wind in your face. Somebody is gonna to say to you, it's just not worth it. And you're gonna to have to overcome resistance to follow the path God's laid out for you, that's what perseverance is all about. God wants to develop in you a determination that no matter what happens, you're going to continue to trust Him. You're going to be a person of integrity. You're not going to surrender to the evil passions. You're going to be who He has created you to be and called you to be, and you're going to keep heading toward that goal. Paul said, this one thing I do, Forgetting what's behind. I'm not going to let the past distract me. And reaching forward to the thing that is ahead. I press toward the mark. Pressing means I'm overcoming resistance as I move toward this prize that God has laid out for me. And I overcome the resistance with perseverance. Every life needs this virtue. You know it's important. It's the Greek word, hupomone, which is the ability to remain under God wants us to remain under the lordship of Jesus Christ under the lordship of the goal he set before us uh, to restrain those desires that take us off track it's one of the essential vitamins he says add to perseverance godliness say God is essentially good his character is wonderful His loving kindness is better than life. God is love and exemplifies it in all of his ways. We want to be more like him. And godliness is you striving to be the best self that you can be. It is you looking toward God and saying, God, let your character be reflected in me. Help me to be more like you and to follow you in my own spiritual development as a human being on this planet. Add to your perseverance godliness and the godliness mutual affection. This is the word phileto, which is Philadelphia, brotherly love, okay? So we're to love the brothers, and this is a very practical kind of love. It talks about brotherly kindness, one toward another. God wants to develop this in you. He wants it in increasing measure in you. Maybe you're thinking as you go through the list, I think I got this down, okay? I've perfected this part of the list. Not so. We're all on our way. We're all learning. We're all maturing. We're all growing up. None of us have got there yet. The Apostle Paul even says, I don't pretend like I've attained. I have got there yet. That's his, his precursor to, but this one thing I do, I know I haven't achieved. So wherever we are in the journey of life, mutual affection, in more practical ways, expressing the love for our family, for the brothers and sisters in the body. And finally, he culminates with love, which is the word agape. Agape is unique in that it depends only on the lover. I know, that's how it is, unconditional You say, we talk about God's unconditional love. Well, why is it unconditional? Because it flows out of who He is. He loves us because of His character, because of His nature. It's who He is, and He loves us even when we don't love Him, and when we're unlovely and running away from Him, trying to do our own thing, He still loves us. That's His agape. He's seeking to develop that agape in us. We have experienced the unfathomable love of God. He has poured out His love in ways we cannot imagine. We read about Him giving His Son on our behalf to save us from our sins, and it overwhelms us. We can't comprehend us or, or get our arms around it. And it is this kind of love, this self-giving love, this laying down of my life love that God wants to produce in me. And the Apostle Paul says what you ought to do is you ought to put the love on like an overcoat as the culmination, it brings together in harmony all the other virtues, this love. Now, Paul the Apostle says in Galatians 5, 6, that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And in that passage, he uses these two words that are the first and the eighth of the vitamins. Faith and love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. This is what God is up to in your life. This is what God is doing in you. He has called you into Christ. He has called you into this walk of salvation. He has called you through his good news and his own intrinsic goodness. He has called you in his love to be this person who trusts in him no matter what and loves others like he has loved you. This is it. These are the vitamins. Do this and you will live Life will be wonderful, it'll be exciting, it'll be full, it'll be abundant. These eight vitamins are not passive in your life. They are powerful in your life. From faith to love, they change who you are and how you behave in the world. And they make you effective and productive. Paul says here, have these qualities in increasing measure so you will not be ineffective and unproductive. Ineffective is sometimes translated as useless. In fact, one translation takes these two words and says, so you won't be useless and fruitless. I kind of like that, all right? Why are you on the planet? You might say, well, (laughs) I just want to be happy. A lot of people would say that. Aristotle, in fact, said that seeking to be happy is the highest of all virtues because you don't desire happiness for anything else it's an end in itself that's what he said I don't know if that's true I guess everybody wants to be happy what about being useful how would you feel about that try that on a little bit Lord let me be useful it could be that the pursuit of happiness actually doesn't work as well giving you happiness as the pursuit of usefulness if you pursue being useful, you might discover you are happy in being a servant and serving others and being useful. And what Peter says here is, if you have these in increasing measure, it'll help you be useful. You're going to feel useful. Sometimes people ask me, well, how are things going down in New Orleans? I mean, how, how is it being a pastor down there? And I tell them, I feel useful every day. Now, truthfully, I felt useful in Temple, too. But I really feel useful in New Orleans, okay? I like being useful. I recommend it to you. Think about how you can be useful to your neighbors, to your friends, to your family. And as you see God working through you to serve others, there will be a joy in that that may exceed all the other pursuits of your life These qualities make you useful and they make you fruitful, which we also want to be. They also help us see the world like it really is. For the Apostle Paul says, if these things aren't happening in you, then you're going to be blind and nearsighted. You see that in the text? You can be blind and nearsighted by not having these vitamins. You know vitamin deficiency does affect your sight right okay so if you're deficient in these eight things we've just talked about the book ends of faith to love it's very possible that you are seeing the world in a skewed way in a clouded way you're not actually seeing what's really there you think you are you think you're a realist you think you're looking at the world just how it is and maybe you insist that you are but are these eight qualities in you Are you clothed with them? Are you living in them? Because if you're not, Peter says, you can be blind and nearsighted with the lack of self-control, perseverance, godliness, faith, goodness, knowledge, mutual affection, and love. These things actually improve your vision of the world, other people, and even of yourself. And what I mean by that is when you have these qualities in you, you see the world like God sees the world. And God sees the world the way it really is. So much of our depression, despair, and fear is connected to the idea that I see the world like it really is. And it's just a place of dog-eat-dog and battle every day. And the struggle is the reality God sees the world from the perspective of his love, pouring out his love toward undeserving people, forgiving them and bringing them into his family. God sees the world more accurately than any one of us. And if these qualities are in us and we follow him in developing these in our character, we will see the world as it is. We also will avoid the dementia that comes on so many people spiritually And I'm talking now to a lot of folks who have been saved a long time and I want you to know sometimes you can get spiritual dementia. All right? And spiritual dementia is bad stuff. You don't want it. It comes on you when these eight qualities stop increasing in your life. Peter says here that that you can forget something. Dementia is a terrible thing and here's the most terrible dimension of all the most terrible dementia that could happen to you is to forget that you have been forgiven of your sins people forget that you know they start treating their children as if they themselves have never been forgiven they start treating their friends as if they never had to be forgiven They start relating to God as if he doesn't need to forgive them anymore. They forget that they have been forgiven. I was driving down the highway recently and I saw one of these custom uh, license plates. What would you put on a custom license plate? (laughs) All right, some good ideas. I thought about the word forgiven. It's too long. You can only put seven characters. Is that right? Is there anybody with the Department of Public Safety here that knows how, how many? Okay, Carol's just come up with it. You could put a four and then given, or you could put forgiven but leave out the E on the end. That would still make sense, right? I love the word forgiven. You've been forgiven. I love it. If you say the word forgiven, you're confessing that you believe there's moral order in the universe. The word forgiven implies that. That there's a good God who created the order in the universe. And when I break his law, I have to be forgiven. And the word forgiven implies that that God is good because he loves to forgive sinners like us. I like the word forgiven. You forget that you're forgiven and you start treating people as if you are the moral authority in the world. You exalt yourself and you put them down to live every day with the truth that God has forgiven me. I know we say sometimes, I just can't forgive her. I just can't forgive him. And some of us mean it. We really can't forgive them. And it stays like an irritation in our soul every day, all day long. And if we allow it, it will turn into a root of bitterness that goes right into the heart. This unforgiveness. God didn't say, forgive them because they deserve it. No. He said, forgive those who have offended you because you must for your own well-being, for your own heart, you must. See, if you forget that you are forgiven and you forget to forgive, it's poison right here these eight qualities increasing in measure in your life will help you remember your true status as a sinner who's been forgiven by a wonderful loving God and so will change the way you speak and talk and relate to others in your life God's up to something wonderful in you to make you useful and fruitful in the work He's given you to do, to give you clear sight of how things really are in this life and to make sure you remember every day that you're a sinner forgiven by a wonderful God and saved by His grace. Bow with me, please. Good, good Father, we love you. But only because you first loved us so overwhelmingly, creating us for your purpose, bringing us life, giving us the gift of one another, and then the gift of your son, Jesus. God, you've been so good to us. Impress on us your goodness. Lord, lead us to repentance to repent of our sin to turn from our sin to confess that we have failed that we have broken your law that we have stepped out of your grace lord show us how to do that how to repent of those things and how to how to receive the grace and love and forgiveness you give through christ i pray god that you will help us be useful and fruitful with good vision and good memory of all you've done for us. And so, Lord, use us to reach out to others who need you. In Jesus' name we pray.